Good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is where we're going to be today. And if you're new to the Bible, this is going to be in the New Testament. And it's not cheating to go to the front of your Bible and find the table of contents and get the page number. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you're just joining us, we've been in this series called Together for the City And what we've been doing in this series is we've been taking our mission as a church and really unpacking that and explaining what we mean. And so our mission, if you're new to Frontline, it's to multiply gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. And we really don't want to fly by this. We think that actually everything that the Bible calls us to do can be summed up and really found inside of that statement to multiply gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. So we've just spent the last few weeks really unpacking what we mean by those phrases and what we're saying. So today, I get the joy of really closing the series out and bringing it to an end, and we're going to talk about church membership. And then next Sunday, what we're going to do is we're actually going to be back in the book of Acts really excited to jump back in, and we're going to be in part two of our series in the book of Acts, and we're going to have, thankfully, Josh Curry back preaching, so I know that you guys have missed him, and we're glad to have him back in the pulpit starting next week. Um, Let me tell you something real fast before we jump into 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, About a year ago, a little over a year ago, I got a membership to the YMCA, and uh, I know you can tell that I go there every day. And uh, when, I, when I was really doing this membership thing, trying to figure out like what gym should I join up with, I was drawn to the Y because of all the benefits that the Y offered. It was close to my house, literally just around the corner. I could walk there if I wanted to. And it, it, the fee, the monthly fee, wasn't too outrageously expensive. And one of the things I love about the Y is they're not one of those gyms that will call you if you don't show up every day. I, I want no part of a gym like that, right? I want the free to just show up when I want to show up and not show up when I don't want to be there. And then I love just the benefits of being able to go with my family, dropping my girls off, and then my wife and I can go do our thing while they take care of our kids. So just a lot of benefits and a lot of uh, uh, great things that came with the Y. And then I found out that there's a, a really cool amount of stuff that the Y does in our community because it's a nonprofit. So all the money that I'm actually paying, they're using, and it's actually folding right back into my community, and they're doing some really cool stuff. And, and if I ever decide I don't like the why, if I ever just decide that there's a better gym out there where I'm uninterested, I can always cancel my membership, I can go find a different gym, or I can do what I have done in the past and just quit going altogether. Now, here's why I say this, because when we talk about church membership, it's so hard for us not to think of a membership to the YMCA or membership to a social club. When we talk about church membership, a lot of times, especially in Oklahoma, the things that come to mind are, well, it's just like an added benefit that you do if you really, really, really love the church, and you're not really like this intricate part of it. You're just kind of giving your money, and you're there, and if you ever decide that you don't like it or if they stop offering the things that are going to be good for you and your family, then you can always just back out and go find a different church or just stop going altogether. And so here's what I want to say just right out of the gate, that when we talk about church membership, 
please, please don't think of your typical membership to a gym or to a country club or any other type of social event. That's not what's being described when we say membership in the local church. So here's what I want to do. I just want to quickly throw a definition your way for you to be wrestling through and chewing on, and then I'm just going to spend the rest of our time together unpacking this definition of what it is to, to, to be a member of a church, what church membership is. So here we go. Here's the, here's the definition. Church membership is a countercultural relationship with Christians in a local church in which they make a covenant with each other to love God and to love people and to push back darkness. Let me say it one more time, just in case you didn't miss it, just in case you missed it, it's pretty wordy. Church membership is a, is a countercultural relationship with Christians in a local church in which they covenant together to love God, love people, and push back darkness. So here's what I want to do. I just want to take you to 1 Corinthians 12, and I want to spend the rest of our time together really showing you why church membership matters, because everything that we want to do as a church really hinges upon us doing this together. We're saying it in the series that we're together for the city, and we're saying love God, love people, and push back darkness, and we don't want you to think that that's directed to simply you as an individual, but actually what's happening is you're being invited into something that's much bigger than yourself. You're being invited into membership in the local church. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 12, and I'm going to read us all the way down through to verse 27. Here's what it says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. This is a huge verse, and we'll come back to it in just a minute. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, I love that word, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Look at verse 27 to close it out. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members 
of it. So if you're taking notes, I just got four quick things that I want you to see about church membership. Here's the first one. Church membership is countercultural. Church membership is inherently countercultural. And here's what I mean. I think a lot of the reasons why when we hear the phrase church membership, the thing that comes to mind tends to rub us the wrong way, or we tend to be a little bit skeptical about church membership. And I think a lot of that's warranted because it's so radically different than the values that our culture is currently proclaiming and all about. Uh, some of the things that culturally are, are high values right now are things like autonomy, and self-expression, and freedom. So these are the things that culturally we're gonna hold up as valuable. These are the things that culturally we're gonna say, if you can have anything, you need to experience autonomy where you're not actually dependent upon anybody else. You're free to be you. You're free to do you, right? So culture is actually preaching sermons to us day in and day out, and those sermons go something like this. Hey, just live for you. (laughs) Don't live for anybody else. It's all about myself. So whatever you have to do to pursue your dream and your ambition and whatever you have to do to define who you are and then express who you are, do it. Commitments, hey, those things are straitjackets. If you have to actually commit to anything, that's a danger. Don't do it. You want to be free. Only engage in relationships with people that are going to help you achieve your self-actualization. And the very second that they stop meeting your needs and stop helping you achieve what you want to achieve, then break away from the relationship altogether. See, culturally, we're going to hear things like submission. That word submission is a bad word. Don't submit. Authority is suspect. And what you really need is autonomy and to tether yourself from any sort of restrictions in your life. So as a result, when we talk about church membership, we kind of have this like aversion because already we're starting to talk about things like being accountable to other people. We're talking about commitment. We're talking about authority. And so we have this natural aversion to those things. But here's what I want you to see today is that what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 and really what the New Testament as a whole describes for the Christian life in the local church is unbelievably countercultural. It rubs, it rubs our culture the wrong way and literally goes the opposite direction of where culture is currently headed. So look at verse 12 and 13 of chapter 12. I want you to see really specifically what Paul says here. He says, for just as the body is one and as many, many parts, many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So he's giving us this analogy of the human body and he wants to, to see the church like that. Now look at what he says in verse 13. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So what the Apostle Paul just told us was something so unbelievable, I don't want you to miss it. What he's saying is that Jesus came to save us from our sin, and we celebrate this. This is actually one of the things that we're celebrating when we gather on Sundays, that Jesus came, and and this thing that we call Christianity is not about me living a really good life and being moral and keeping all the rules and, and, and trying to make God happy so I can get him off my back, that actually the story of Christianity is that we were enemies of God, we were sinful, we were rebellious, and in the middle of of us running away from God, worshiping and serving all the gifts that he had made rather than the giver, 
God does something unbelievable. He, in his mercy and love, comes down to rescue us. And Jesus, he goes to a cross and he gives his life and he rises from the dead so that you and I could have new life. But what Paul just said is not that we've been saved to Jesus. It's not just that reality. What he's saying is that we've been saved to Jesus and when God saved us, he saved us into the body of Christ, which is the church. Now, I I say this all the time, and Josh says this all the time, and I think about the time that we get sick of saying this. You guys might just be, for the first time, hearing what we're saying, but, but please get this, because if you don't get this, then church membership won't make sense. Jesus doesn't just save you from stuff. He saves you into something really profound and beautiful. He doesn't just save you so that you can feel good about your life on Monday and go to work as a forgiven, righteous person in Jesus. He saves you from sin, and when he did that, he radically transforms your identity, and you become a member in the church. Now, when I say member of the church, please hear me. I'm not talking about a card-carrying member of the YMCA. That's not what we're describing here. We're not talking that God gives you this, this card that you can pull out and now you can show people, see, I'm a member of the church. That word member that's used here is actually referencing something else. What is it referencing? If it's referencing a part of the human body. So my arm is a member of my body. My legs are members of my body. My eyes are members of my body. What Paul is telling us is that Jesus, when he saves you, he saves you out of sin and into the body of Christ and you became a member of the church when Jesus made you a new person. Unbelievable. This is like a game changer for the way that we see our lives and how our lives play out. Here's what it means to be a member of the body of Christ, and here's why it's countercultural. It means that you and I are no longer autonomous individuals that have the freedom to live and do whatever we please that you and I are now actually deeply connected to and dependent upon the body of Christ. I'm not free. I'm not an autonomous person. In fact, when I repented of my sin and I turned to Jesus, I'm not just repenting of generic sin. Part of what I'm repenting of is my autonomy and desire to be my own God, and I'm actually coming under the submission of Jesus, and I'm becoming dependent upon not just God, but on God's church, right? This is crazy. This changes the way I think about my life. It means that I'm not free to live however I want to live. I'm now actually accountable to God, and I'm not just accountable to God, but what the New Testament's going to describe for us is that I'm accountable to you as well. That rubs me the wrong way culturally because culture says be accountable to no one. It means that you and I are no longer free to pick and choose our level of commitment because you don't get to pick and choose being in the body if you're a follower of Jesus. You are in the body and your level of commitment is really dependent upon how healthy of a member in this body do you want to be. So this is just unbelievable what's happening here. You are saved into the body of Christ. When Jesus made you a new person, if he's done that, then he made you a member of his church. Now, here's what tends to happen, especially when we talk about church membership. A question that, that we get all the time, literally all the time, is, is a, it's a really well-meaning question. And oftentimes, it's coming from a really curious 
uh, point of view, like help me understand this when it comes to church membership. But sometimes it's said kind of as a statement that is meant to like debunk church membership altogether. And here's the question that a lot of people are asking, some genuinely and others just to try to avoid things like church membership. Okay, Andrew, if I was saved into the body of Christ, if Jesus didn't just save me from sin, but he also saved me and made me a member of his church, then why do I need to be a member of the local church? Like, what's the value of local church membership if, biblically speaking, every Christian is a member of, let's just call it the capital C church, the, the, what, what theologians refer to as the universal church or the invisible church or the, 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 the church that's global, right? And what's being talked about there is just this reality that every Christian that's a follower of Jesus in all places in the, in the world and all times and all languages and all cultures, when they come to Jesus, Jesus saves them from sin, and he makes them a member of the church. So why do I need to be a member of a local church if that's the biblical reality? Well, let me just answer that question by giving you my second thing I want you to see. Church membership, it's not just countercultural. Church membership is hyper-local. Church membership is inherently hyper-local. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes the New Testament's gonna describe the church and it's describing the capital C church. It's describing things like every follower of Jesus in all time and in all history. It does this in Ephesians 5 when it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this reality being described is not that Jesus loves a particular group of people as opposed to others. It's saying that Jesus gave his life for the capital C church, the church everywhere in all places. But there are other times the New Testament describes the church in a way that isn't meant to infer this this invisible, global, universal thing. It's talking about a hyper-local reality. And it does this actually in 1 Corinthians 12. This is what's being described. So here you have the Apostle Paul writing to a particular church in a particular city, the port city of Corinth, with particular pastors and particular people that had come under the authority of those pastors. And this church had particular systems and structures. And Paul tells them in chapter 12, you are the body of Christ. And individually, you are members of this church. And so what we see happening in the New Testament is actually evidence of implicit local church membership all over the New Testament. It's not just like, well, Jesus saved me, I'm a member of the church now. We see it all over the New Testament where it's actually enfleshed and it's lived out in a real hyper-local way. Let me give you a couple examples each local church had specific pastors and specific leaders. So let me just read you a few verses. Hebrews thirteen seven, it says, remember your leaders. Like very specifically, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you, the word of God. So here we have a verse saying, hey, remember your leaders, the ones that actually would stand up and speak the word of God to you. And then it goes on to say, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So here's what's being described. What's being described is local pastors, local leaders that are speaking to a local group of people. And the text is saying, hey, actually, you should know who your leaders are, right? You're not just called to follow and imitate any leader, Thankfully, so think about all those 
whack jobs on TBN that are wearing really expensive cufflinks and preaching with the jet humming in the background. And they're taking up like 37 offerings and saying that if you'll just sow into their ministry, they'll send you a prayer shawl that'll change your world, you know. And, 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 and you in there, like, to be a faithful Christian, you don't have to obey them and imitate their faith and do everything that they're saying because you're not accountable to those leaders. You have local leaders in a particular place that you are called to watch and observe their life and imitate their faith. Here's another verse, Hebrews thirteen seventeen: Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. And this is the scary part for leaders as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So he's like pleading, hey, please, like just help your leaders out. They actually have to stand before God and give an account for your soul. Let that be like an easy task and not a hard one. Um, I, I love this verse. It's, it's terrifying, but it really highlights what God is trying to get us to see when it comes to local church membership. So let me say it like this. Bridgeway Church up in North OKC is awesome. We love those guys. We love the church there, and I deeply love the people there. Uh, I have a good friend, Jeremy Hager. He planted a church in Norman called Providence Road. If you've got any friends or relatives in Norman, send them to Jeremy Hager's church. I think about guys like Redemption and Edmund with our friend Jeff Lawrence. We've got all these great friends with doing, they're, they're doing great ministry and awesome churches all over Oklahoma. And we really love their people. We feel burdened for their people. But I'm really grateful that I don't have to stand before God and give an account for the people of Bridgeway Church, right? We have our hands full with just the people of Frontline. I'm glad that I don't have to stand before the Lord and give an account for the people of redemption or the people of Providence Road. You see, inherent in the commands of the New Testament is that this is actually going to be lived out on a hyper-local level, Not just this generic, like, well, I'm following these guys that I podcast, and I love the capital C church, but I never have to actually engage in real relationships. Here's another thing that we see. The church in Ephesus, which was the largest church of the day um, in the first century, several thousand people, they actually kept a church membership role. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, hey, Timothy, I want you to care for the widows that are in your care. The widows that are a part of your church, I want you to really provide for them if they meet certain qualifications. And so what we see happening is Paul directing Timothy and he tells them basically to like create a list. And so here we have Timothy like actually keeping a church database with up-to-date accurate information and he would know which widows should be supported and which widows shouldn't be supported. So this isn't so that Timothy every year can get together with his pastor buddies and brag about how big his church role is, this is resulting in actual, on-the-ground level pastoral care for the people in his church. So when Frontline says church membership and membership matters at Frontline, what we're saying is we don't care about just having a, a big amount of people that are on there and people that have passed away 20 years ago and they're still on the rolls. That's not what we want to see. Every year, we actually want to renew that list and have people reaffirm their covenant saying, this is the church that I'm a part of so that that will translate into discipleship and pastoral care and mission right? That's what's happening in the New Testament. And then one other thing I want to point your way on this is just think about with me, think about all of the one another commands in scripture. These can't be lived out if you just live in this ethereal, spiritual 
capital C church, but never actually have local on the ground relationship and commitment with a local church. Let me just throw a couple commands your way. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How are you going to do that if you're not deeply connected to real people in a real hyper-local place where you know their burdens and you can care for them. Another one, Romans 12.10, outdo one another in showing honor. You can't do that just by sitting at home and podcasting sermons. You actually have to be a part of a local church if you're gonna know people and know how to outdo one another in showing honor. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So you're actually supposed to walk with each other in such a way that you can open up the deepest, darkest parts of your heart, all the places of your heart that struggle and doubt and fail to actually follow Jesus. You're to be engaged in a relationship where you can open up and be who you really are with the church. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It means like you're actually having people in your home and opening up your possessions and your life to the people in the church. And then Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, I love this one. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's the point that's, that's being made right now is yes, the church is invisible. Yes, there's a sense in which there's a capital C church that's universal, but that's not where we enflesh our Christian lives. That's not where we actually live out the commands of scripture. That's not where we actually identify ourselves as the people of God. All of that happens inside of the context of the local church. And I'll just say it this way. If, if you don't have a local expression, if, if the local church isn't a reality for you, then you'll never be truly known. You'll never actually be able to submit to any sort of leadership. You can't actually learn to walk out the one another commands in Scripture and you won't actually be held accountable for your sin in any real sense of the word. And so I get culturally like why it's uncomfortable for us, why it's hard for us, but this is what Jesus is inviting us into. And so much of this is actually helping us learn to love in a better way, right? Here's the third thing that I want you to see. And I think this will maybe put more meat on it for you. That church membership, it's not just countercultural, it's not just local, but church membership is covenantal. And this word covenantal is, is lost on our culture in many ways, but it's this idea, this idea that I'm not making this shallow commitment that as long as this benefits me directly and I get certain things out of it, that I'll be a part of this. But what you're saying in a covenant is that you are giving your life away to this person that you are covenanting to. That's why in marriage, marriage is such a beautiful picture of the gospel because it's a covenant and this is what God does for us. He shows up to us us and he says, listen, you're not going to do everything you're supposed to do. You're not going to fulfill all the obligations that I've given you. You're going to fail in all these ways, but my love for you won't change. My commitment to you won't go away. I'm devoted to you, not just because of you, but I'm devoted to you because of this beautiful covenant and for my glory. 
And so what happens inside of the the church is there's this beautiful covenant that we come together and make where we say to each other everything God is inviting us to, everything God has called us to, we look each other in the eyes and we say, we want to do that together. These one another commands, that's what I want to carry out with you. Those one another commands, that's what you're carrying out with me. And we make a covenant to each other where we put our keys on the table and we say, listen, I'm not going anywhere. One of the helpful ways maybe I could describe this is with one of my favorite stories of all time. It comes from uh, uh, The Odyssey. If you've ever read The Odyssey in high school or in college, just an amazing book. And there's a story in there where Ulysses, or uh, Ulysses was like his Latin name, but uh, Odysseus is on the ship home. And he's on, this, he's on the ship with this really, really long journey ahead of him. He's trying to get home with everything in him. And someone had just warned him that while he's going to be heading home, he's going to pass by some sirens. And these sirens are woman-like creatures that sing just unbelievably beautiful, spectacular, alluring music, right? And, and what happens, we know the story that, that actually these sirens, even though they sing beautiful music, sailors would be led astray by the sirens and they would jump out of their ship and swim to the sirens just to get closer and hear the music in a better way. And when they would do that, these sirens would turn on them and they would take the bodies of the sailors and they would dash them against the rocks. So here you have this picture of sirens that are sitting on a pile of human bones, sailors' bones, and singing this beautiful, beautiful music. And so Ulysses or Odysseus, what he, what he knows to do is plug the ears of his men with wax so that they don't hear the music. And then he gives his men directions. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to actually tie me to the mast of the ship. I want you to tie me tight to the mast. And if you see me when we pass by the sirens, if you see me struggle and try to break free to swim over, stop me at all cost and tie me tighter, tie me tighter to the mast. And we know the story, like he goes past the sirens and he wants to get to the music. He's, he's struggling to get free and his sailors tie him tighter and they tie him tighter. Now, is there a sense in which uh, Ulysses regretted that decision to be tied to the mast? Yeah, there is. There is a real time where he did not want that restriction on his life. He wanted to be freed from that restriction. But actually, as soon as he got out of earshot of the, the song of the sirens, he was so infinitely grateful that his sailors didn't listen to him and let him go do what his desires wanted him to do. But they gave him this beautiful restriction that ended up saving his really his very life. I love this story so much. I, I, I even got a the tattoo of the picture of this story on my arm because this really is the way that life works for us. Is there are all these sirens and temptations and, and beautiful things that are alluring us Monday through Saturday, pulling at us, calling for us. And what God does in his mercy and in his grace is he gives us the gift of the local church. And this church in many ways, when we make a covenant to the local church, it's tying ourselves to the mast of Jesus. It's keeping us connected And even when I want to break free, even when I want to chase after sin, even when I want to do things that I'll eventually regret, God in his mercy, he's keeping me close to him and he's using the local church to do it. This is the beauty of what God is doing. I love the words of Ronald Rollheiser. He says, church involvement, when understood properly, does not leave us the option to walk away whenever something happens that we do not like. It is a covenant commitment 
like a marriage and binds us for better or worse. Don't you want people in your life like this? that are going to speak truth to you and invite you to live for Jesus. And we're on this voyage home to God and they're going to help you get there safely. Like, don't you want this? This is God's gift to the church. It's not this sterile list that's floating out in the ether. It's actually enfleshed and lived out in real relationships inside of community. And then here's the last thing I want you to see. Church membership, it's countercultural for all these reasons. <laughs> it's, it's hyper-local. Church membership is a covenant, and then number four, church membership is essential. Church membership is essential. Now, let me just explain quickly what I don't mean with that phrase, church membership is essential. I don't mean that church membership is the thing that saves you, because it's not. Jesus is the one that saves. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals salvation. So if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, then what, what I want you to understand is that it's not like you jump through these hoops and you go through a membership class and you say all the right things and now you're a Christian. That actually what's happening is God the Father is calling out to you. He's inviting you to himself and he's, he's offering you forgiveness of sin. He's offering you reconciliation through the person and work of Jesus. He's offering you a new life and new identity and you can literally come empty-handed and broken and sinful and he will receive you. So Jesus is the one who saves, not church membership. Right? So I don't mean that it's essential for your salvation in that way. But what I do mean is that if you actually want to grow as a Christian, if you actually want to flourish in the Christian life, if you actually want to love God and love people and push back darkness as we live on mission together, if you actually want to do that in a real tangible way, then church membership is essential because it's the, the, the gift that God gives to his church to ensure that we can actually carry out what he's called us to carry out. Here's what I want you to start doing by God's grace is I want you to start seeing the church as one of the greatest gifts that God has given you. And I'm not saying frontline church. I'm saying God's church and all of its local expression. That is one of the greatest gifts and it's actually your involvement with it is a spiritual discipline. Here's what I mean. Let me just quote Mark Sayers as we bring this to an end. He says, in an age that encourages maximum autonomy and the transgressing of limitations, perhaps we need to see the institution of church as a spiritual discipline. We get the idea that making the choice to wake up early and read our Bibles or to commit to regularly giving away our money to a charity or to fast may not always be pleasurable in the moment, but in the discipline of these things that we become more Christ-like. Yet we expect church to always be pleasurable, enriching, exciting. Maybe the limitations of church the discipline of regular attendance, the commitment it requires also teach us to be Christ-like. Maybe we need to reimagine church in our minds as a spiritual discipline which teaches us the value of delayed gratification, of personally investing in change, of becoming more like Jesus. And I can't tell you for me personally what God has done in my heart and in my soul through the local church. Like I spend Monday through Saturday 
it feels like I'm being tossed and turned and pushed in every direction by the world. And my sinful heart wants to run in a thousand different directions, none of them headed towards God. And God, and in his mercy and in his grace, he has given me the gift of the local church. And there's so many things I'm grateful for. I'm I'm grateful for the ways that when I show up on Sunday, what happens is so unbelievable. I'm first invited into, I'm called into the worship of God, and I'm reminded that this isn't something that I am instituting. This isn't something that I'm initiating. This is something that God is doing for me. So despite what last week looked like, God is here, and he's inviting me to himself. And then we start singing beautiful truths about God, and and my heart is reminded of my real identity as a son of God. I'm reminded of my need for Jesus. I'm reminded of the, the power and the beauty of God. I'm reminded of what he's done for me, and then I get to confess sin, and, and that's a real thing that I'm, I'm needing. I realize that I've, I've spent my week running and sinning and trading God for all these things and having things in my heart that are not right and I get to come and acknowledge that to God and then I get to come and and I get to give my money and that's a reminder that money is not God and that is a struggle for me because I want possessions and I want stuff and I want to have all these these things that I can find comfort and identity in and and so it's this this war that I get to wage against my, my flesh that actually what's happening is Jesus is my treasure. He's the one that I need in my life. And then someone opens the word and they tell me about God and they tell me about sin and they tell me about my need and they tell me about Jesus and they tell me about the gospel. And I need that because I run Monday through Saturday in a thousand different directions. And then I get to come and I get to feast at the table of God, not because I'm awesome, but because God is awesome, because he has saved me and I get to come and actually commune with Jesus because of what he has done. And so much of Sunday, it's shaping my desires. It's changing what I want. It's changing what I realize I need. It's, it's, it's helping me actually stay afloat as a Christian. And then Monday through Saturday, I've got people in my life that are reminding me of the gospel and, and pushing me to live on mission and helping me with my friends that don't know Jesus so that it's not just up to me to figure out how to communicate effectively the gospel to all these people, but I've got brothers and sisters that are walking with me as we do this together for the city on mission. The church is a spiritual discipline, and it's one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us. So here's what I want to do as I bring this to a close. What absolutely floors me what absolutely blows my mind is that God did not just give us the body of Christ, the church, as a gift, but God actually gave his body to the church as a gift. Think about you for just a minute and think about all your failures. Don't think about all your successes right now. Think about all your failures. Think about all the temptations that you have to run away. Think about the sin in your heart. God gave his son for you so that you could be loved, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made new. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy, and without blemish. God 
loves the church and he loves the church so much that he gave his life so that we could actually have his life. So here's what I want you to do. Today, as you think about the church, as you live out your life this week and thinking about the church, I want you to direct your heart filled with gratitude to God for who he is and what he's done and the gift that the church is. Again, not Frontline, not Bridgeway, not Redemption Church, not Providence. I'm talking about Jesus giving you his body, the body of Christ, the church. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you are being invited into this. Even if you're struggling with believing, you can belong before you believe, and we actually want you apart, but you're being invited into this new family. You're being invited into this body, and it's not based on your ability to keep the rules. It's based on Jesus and what Jesus has done. Come to him today. He will take you. He will forgive you, and he will give you a totally new identity that will change the way that you live.